Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Toronto isn't exactly known for its pristine wilderness, but there's an area just outside of Toronto that's pretty full of wildlife. Do you hear that paired, the paired note there? Uh-huh. Um, there's a catbird singing. Oh, there's an American red start that's a warbler singing in there. That's Ryan Norris. He's an ecologist and professor at the University of Guelph. He's out on a walk organized by the David Suzuki Foundation at the Nashville Conservation Reserve, northwest of Toronto. Yeah, so I thought we would stop here first. Um, this is a, probably a, this is a good example of one of the hundred about 132 streams that the 413 would cross. Wow. Mm. 132 over 60 kilometers of highway. That area he's talking about could soon sound more like this. As part of his provincial election campaign, Doug Ford promised to build Highway 413, and he won that election. The highway would stretch 52 kilometers around the northwest part of the greater Toronto area. It would cut right through the Nashville Conservation Reserve and the habitats within it. There's a lot of species that call this area home, and some of them are in serious decline. Highway 413 is just one example of what happens across Canada when development meets conservation. Uh, So when these rare species, even if you can find them in other places, uh, if they're rare to Ontario and they're disappearing, it means that something about that part of the world is also disappearing. Ivan Semenik is back on the podcast. He's the Globe's science reporter. He's here to walk us through how this struggle is playing out around the proposed highway and what it says about Canada's efforts to protect its biodiversity. This is The Decibel. Ivan, thanks for joining us again. My pleasure, Manika. Good to talk to you. So you were on that walk with Ryan Norris in that conservation area, just just north of Toronto. Can you paint a picture for me? What What is that area like? Sure. This is a really, I mean, this is the kind of place that uh, is in some ways typical of what's left of the wilderness of uh, southern Ontario. And uh, southern Ontario has been, uh, you know, chopped up by agriculture and development uh, so that there are just really a few islands of natural habitat. This is one of them and one of the closest to Toronto. It's the Nashville Conservation Reserve. And you can see it's also not a pristine isolated wilderness. I mean, you can hear off in the distance, you know, traffic from country roads and and highways that are further away. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nevertheless, it is this rare area where it's wild. And, uh, you know, southern Ontario accounts for about a quarter of Canada's biodiversity. So it is an important area Mm -hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in Markham and I remember I hadn't been to the Nashville uh, conservation area, but the Boyd conservation area, Courtright, there's a lot of spaces there that are fairly pristine and, in, in, you know, kind of core areas, but you can still hear traffic. You can, you know, that there's houses being developed around there. What are some of the species in particular that we're talking about here that, that actually live in, in this area? Um, a recent analysis said that 
there were about 23 species at risk living in the path of the uh, proposed highway. In fact, you know, because these are headwaters of uh, riverways that flow into Lake Ontario, uh, you know, fish, uh, aquatic insects and other creatures are among those that are endangered. The red side dace, which is a cold water fish, you know, endangered in Ontario. Another is the rapids club tail. It's a type of dragonfly. It uh, only is found in Ontario in a few spots and uh, in fact, three locations in the general area and two of them would be affected by the highway. Mm. So so there are a number of species that would be directly uh, affected. And we also heard birds in, in the clip that we that we listened to before. Uh, in this area, I've, I've heard it being referred to as a, a super highway for birds. Why is that? Right, not to be confused with the 413 with the highway, but, super highway. Yes, <laughs> but uh, it, it is a sort of highway for migrating species. You know, it's, it's songbirds come all the way from, you know, Central America, Mexico, sometimes even further away. Many of them fly through Ontario, and so places like this offer a very important uh, stopping point for these migrating birds. So it is important not just for the species that are resident there, but as part of kind of the connectivity of wild spaces uh, across the continent. So there are larger, uh, there's larger import as well. Hmm. Uh, but of course, it's not just the impact directly where the highway would be built that would have an impact on these natural spaces. As Ryan Norris said, it affects the waterways, it affects everything downstream. Uh, Highways have runoff, salt, metals, air pollution, noise, and most importantly, all the development that comes along with the highway that tends to fill in around it. All of that would create a much wider swath of disturbance that would uh, completely alter this location. Hmm. Yeah, so this is an important thing to remember. So it's not just the actual construction of the highway, the bulldozers, the paving that we're talking about here. There's actually, it sounds like, a lot of other things down the road once this highway is built that that would affect Mm -hmm. the, the area around it. Exactly. Canada basically has sort of two uh, uh, conservation problems. One is in the far north, or like in the wild north, where, you know, resource development uh, kind of disturbs uh, pristine wilderness, uh, whether it's logging or mining or, or, or other kinds of activities. In the south, it's a different story. It's really more development, uh, human activity. And there, wildlife has already been constrained to much smaller areas, to the point where you might even wonder, well, what does it matter if another little woodlot disappears or another conservation area is is made smaller? Of course, what the reason it matters is because there are so few such places that uh, everyone lost actually ha- has a significant impact. Hmm. We mentioned a little bit about, the, we're talking about species, but we also mentioned a little bit about the effect it would have on, on waterways as well. I, I want to play you something that, that Ryan Norris said about this. Let's, let's listen to this clip. It would compromise the um, drinking water of Toronto. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the one of the, in terms of water quality, it's probably one of the absolute worst places you could put a highway. Why does he think it is such a bad place, one of the worst places that, that we could put a highway? Well, so there's sort of a confluence of things at this at this location. You've got the headwaters of some of the uh, of the larger waterways that uh, feed into Lake Ontario on the western side of the city. So that includes the Humber River, and and the fact that the highway would be cutting through the headwaters, you know, right right at the kind of high up these rivers. So it affects everything. What you know, whatever ends up washing down into these waterways from the highway would affect everything downstream. 
and uh, further degrade, uh, you know, both natural spaces and any of the services that uh, those spaces provide, including clean water. I think a lot of people are, are conscious of, you know, wanting to preserve the natural environment as much as possible. But the Ontario government says that we, we need highways to improve traffic conditions in the area around Toronto. I mean, the area that it would go through uh, is expected to see a million more people every five years, according to the government. And, and, and it's already very traffic heavy. So do we not need this highway for people to get around? Some of the people who accompanied us on the walk were people who are engaged in, in urban planning, including former mayor of Toronto, David Crombie. And, uh, you know, David Crombie was on hand uh, at a time when people were working to stop the Spadina Expressway, which famously kind of was, was supposed to cut into downtown Toronto. And a former premier of Ontario, Bill Davis, at the time said, if you want to build a city for cars, this highway is a great place to start. If you want to build a city for people, this is a great place to stop. So that was the the battle of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess what we would add here is that, you know, the, the current battle over the 413, the same kinds of arguments are there. More people need more roadways. But of course, transportation experts would say the minute you build a highway, you just clog it up with more cars, which is the last thing we need to be doing right now, partly for climate change uh, and partly because what's really required for you know, better running urban developed areas is walkable neighborhoods interconnected with smart transit. I, I think the deeper question is that we don't have a way of weighing nature in the balance against these various economic arguments. So let's get into some of these these laws then that actually look at conserving some of this natural environment. The dragonfly you mentioned, the the rapids club tail, let's take this as an example because it is listed as endangered both provincially and federally. So we would think that this would be a species that would be pretty clearly protected. How is the province able to propose something like this highway that would cut through significant habitat for the species uh, for a dragonfly that's protected both provincially and federally? Yeah, so Canadian species law is not as effective as conservation biologists would like and and perhaps n- not as uh, encompassing as Canadians would imagine. Uh, the Federal Species at Risk Act really essentially applies to federal land, uh, which, you know, is significant in some parts of, of the country, but in places like Toronto, where most land is, you know, private property, or in places where the province, uh, you know, is sort of the essentially the owner of crown land, uh, the federal law, you know, isn't applied in the way that it would be in, in a federal context. Now, the province does have its own species law, but uh, there's a long track record of uh, kind of creating exemptions to those laws. Ontario changed some of its laws around species conservation back in 2019 under the the Ford government. Uh, and, and one thing that's changed is the considerations when deciding if a species is endangered or not. What exactly was, was changed there, Ivan? I think everyone would agree the species law has never been well applied or rigorously applied. It's always... Uh, Various governments predating the current one have have looked for ways to get around the species law. But under Doug Ford, uh, the law was altered more than it has been in the past. And among those, a really un, kind of an unusual and controversial change is one where uh, enlisting species, Ontario can consider 
the status of the species in other jurisdictions as well as in Ontario. So what that means is if you want to protect a species in Ontario, you know, in the past, you might say, well, this is a native species in Ontario. It's endangered. Therefore, we have to protect it. Uh, now, in theory, the law allows you to say, well, okay, it's endangered in Ontario, but, you know, it's doing well in Pennsylvania. It's doing, it, or it seems there are more of it in other places, so maybe we don't have to worry about this species. That's very different than how other jurisdictions uh, work. So to bring it back to this, the dragonfly that we've been following through this conversation, the rapids club tail, how would it affect a species like this? So we haven't yet seen, uh, you know, things being delisted yet. So I, I guess the, the idea is... It gives the government another arm or another argument to say this habitat that we're about to disrupt is not as critical as people say. You know, and people may wonder how much that matters, but I guess the point is that uh, those species are a sign of what is intact. Uh, so when these rare species, even if you can find them in other places, uh, if they're rare to Ontario and they're disappearing, it means that something about that part of the world is also disappearing. There's also this conservation fund that was that was brought in with these new changes in Ontario. What is this conservation fund? So this is another controversial change and an interesting one. Uh, in the past, uh, it was possible for uh, someone pursuing a project, some kind of development to say, okay, if I'm disrupting habitat that's going to affect a certain species, I can demonstrate how I'm going to help that species by doing actions in another location and mm -hmm. say, look, in the long run, all these things I'm doing over here will help the species even more. Uh, so, you know, you should allow me to uh, make these changes in this spot or make these disruptions in this spot. So that's now been replaced for certain species. And uh, for this uh, group, about half a dozen species, there is now something called the Species at Risk Conservation Fund. And a project proponent can basically elect to pay money into the fund. They don't have to do anything specific to help a species. They just have to pay the money, and then they can uh, disrupt the habitat if this is allowed to go forward. So this, in theory, this would basically, this money would go to protect the species elsewhere then. Is that right? Yes, uh, although uh, critics of this approach say that details are very sketchy. We don't really know how this is going to work. And, you know, this conservation fund has, in conservation circles, has a grim nickname, pay to slay, uh, you know, meaning you just pay the money and you can kill the species. Now, I, not everyone agree agrees that it's uh, quite as bad as that. But the, the point is, we haven't seen really how this fund is applied even though the change was made in 2019, the committee that um, oversees the fund was only appointed this year. We hear that people have already been paying into the fund, but there are no public details on that. Let's look at this a little bit more broadly then, Ivan. Uh, we have been talking a lot about Ontario, but I would ma imagine these conversations are happening across the country. What are we seeing across Canada in terms of the dynamic between development and, and species conservation in, in provinces and territories? It's definitely somewhat of a patchwork. And it, it, the same dynamic, the same general dynamic applies, which is in the north, you've got resource development, uh, sort of threatening habitat. In the south, you have sort of more property development or urban development or possibly linked to agriculture. And, you know, there is uh, the federal law, but the federal law has its limitations. There are ways that the federal government can step in and apply the law, can essentially force 
provinces or other jurisdictions to uh, abide by the federal species at risk law uh, if, uh, you know, an emergency order can be issued, for example. This has happened occasionally. I mean, it's it happened in, the, in Quebec in the case of uh, species of frog, that uh, chorus frog, where a development was stopped, you know, because of an emergency order. But it's extremely rare for the federal government to do this, you know, and, and that's politics. It's, it's not a good look uh, for the federal government. Ottawa wants to avoid stepping in and telling the provinces how to manage their own land. So as a result, that federal law doesn't really get enforced. Uh, it's more a matter of, you know, can people be persuaded to abide by, uh, you know, uh, what the law is trying to achieve? Some provinces really do not have species laws at all. I mean, they have, they may have some kind of wildlife act, but, uh, but not necessarily that are dedicated to species at risk or species at risk protection. And among those that don't are BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Yukon, and PEI. You know, they don't have legislation that's specific to species at risk. Is that surprising? Would we expect them to, to have some of that on the books? Well, certainly in BC, where there are a lot of people uh, who are concerned about conservation, and B- BC mm-hmm. is definitely a biodiversity hotspot. It's long been a, a, a bone of contention that uh, as of now, there still is not a specific species at risk law. This isn't a conversation that's just happening in Canada, though. This is all over the world. People are dealing with this this kind of toss-up, the balance between providing for people and protecting nature. How are we seeing these decisions being made, Ivan, and, and these conversations happening about development and, and protecting species on, on an international scale? We are right in the middle of a major global conversation about biodiversity and protection of wildlife all around the planet, and and more importantly, kind of the ecosystems that make it possible for us to live on the planet. This is a big year because uh, it's the year that we're anticipating COP15. Uh, You know, people are used to these uh, conventions, these UN meetings, big meetings for climate change. This one is going to be one for biodiversity. It's a kind of a parallel process to the climate negotiations that happen internationally. Uh, negotiations about how much wilderness can be protected, how species can be protected. Canada has already said it's uh, committing to protect 30% of its land area uh, by 2030. And then there's an equivalent target for uh, marine areas. But, you know, realistically, Canada can't do that without uh, the support of provinces and other jurisdictions. The federal government can't do that alone. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, it's imperative that other countries do this too. And that we think also about the way the world is interconnected. So there, there needs to be a global approach to species protection. That's what the Convention on Biodiversity is for. Uh, and Canada is in a position to, uh, you know, sort of play a, somewhat of a leadership role, at least uh, morally, you know, and Canada, uh, as the second largest nation on earth, uh, is actually overseeing or uh, the steward of a very large amount of the land area where wildlife is, including, you know, the boreal forest, which locks up a huge amount of carbon. Uh, so it has climate impact as well. So all of that's on the table. And uh, I guess uh, we'll see if some progress will be made this year to try to stem that biodiversity crisis. Ivan, thanks for joining us again and, and helping us understand this. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. 
Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.